Our scripture this morning will come from a variety of passages, including Psalm 139. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we are just so grateful for your love and your grace for a beautiful day to be able to join together in this, your house with your people and your presence. Pour out your Holy Spirit, we pray. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I shared with you before, when I was a kid growing up, we went to church every Sunday. That was just part of who we were. It was part of our culture, part of our family. You get up on Sunday morning, you're going to church. It is what it is. We would go to Sunday school. We would go to worship. Worship was really important to us. But I was thinking about it. I'm not sure that anybody ever really taught me why we do what we do in worship when I was a kid. I think we just kind of did it. But I didn't always understand, well, why do we do this and why do we do that? Now, they may have taught me, and I may just not have been paying attention that Sunday. But I I don't remember it. Why do we do what we do? And, And I wondered, you know, when we join together to worship, do we really understand why we're here and what we do? I remember growing up hearing people talk about the preliminaries. The preliminaries was everything that occurred before the sermon. You would hear people go, you know, the preliminaries are now taking about 30 minutes of the worship service. I I don't know how the preacher's going to have time to preach. The preliminaries are taking so long. It's almost like the preliminaries or everything prior to the sermon was the opening act, the warm-up to the sermon. It's what I thought growing up. I, I was curious, so why do we worship? Why, what are we hoping to accomplish here today? What is the point? Why do we do what we're doing? We've been walking through a series in the season of Lent, that 40-day period of time, not counting Sundays, when we walk with Jesus from Ash Wednesday to the cross. It's that time where we we examine ourselves and and start thinking through, who am I? I? As I prepare to stand with Jesus at the foot of the cross or be there at the empty tomb, who am I? What is my walk with Christ like today? So we've been talking about getting real. The first Sunday, we talked about getting real and naming our sins. And we looked at David's sin and then his confession in Psalm 51. And and last week, Pastor Rocio did an amazing job helping us to, to look at getting real about our need for God. We really need God. It's not just we want God. We, we need God. And today, our worship. Why? Why do we worship the way we do? Manuel Luz wrote this book called Honest Worship. And in it, he's a worship leader, a worship pastor, a a music pastor who who had helped lead his congregation to be able to worship God. But he started wrestling, he said, with with what was happening in our world and worship. And, And he started wrestling sometimes with how it appears that Churches almost compete with one another. If you hear that other church got a new video system, we need to be looking looking at ours right now because everybody's going to go. You know, they're going to go to the new video system. Did you know they have surround sound? I mean, it sounds like the preacher's behind you. We we got to look at something. You know, and all of a sudden, I mean, we start competing with what's around us, and and he started wrestling with what is worship really all about? What's the importance of worship? He he tells the story about his son 
who was around a teenager at this point, and his son was invited by a friend to go to the friend's church. And so on that particular Sunday, he went there, and, and it was one of the large mega churches in the area. And so Pastor Luz was, was really interested to hear what his son was going to say about it when he got home. You know, his son was a PK. You know what a PK is, right? Preacher's kid. You know, and sometimes preacher's kids can be a little on the rough side. But that's because they grow up with all the church member kids. <laughs> and, and so, you know, he was, you know, he was thinking about when his son gets home, you know, I want to be able to hear, but he didn't really want to push him, you know, and go, hey, tell me what you thought, tell me what your impressions were, you know, tell me what your experience was like. And, and so he just didn't really push him, but he was very anxious to hear from his son. And finally, finally, the son asked the question. Dad, why do they need smoke machines in worship? I mean, that's one of the deep theological questions of our time. And, you know, and, and so, you know, the dad just kind of thought, okay, how am I going to answer that? And here's what he said. He said, there was much I could have said in that moment. I could have contrasted different philosophies of ministry especially in relation to the seeker movement in a postmodern culture, and explained how some view the Sunday service as having components of both worship and evangelism. I could have articulated the differences between entertainment and engagement, and how the two, while they look very similar, are very different in their intent and their outcome. And I could have passionately shared my deeply held convictions on worship theology what it means to come before the throne of god as the people of god the bride and the bridegroom the community of believers with the community of the godhead but i didn't i simply replied well son technically you need the smoke machines to be able to see the lasers He then goes on to explain that sometimes there is the danger that we get caught up in the spectacle of worship, as he calls it, rather than the encounter of worship. That, that sometimes we can get caught up in the entertainment of worship rather than the transformation of worship. Worship, why do we do what we do I, I believe worship is a privilege. It's an amazing privilege that we as the people of God have. I mean, David said in Psalm 122, verse 1, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This is an exciting thing. Worship is a privilege. Now, I find it interesting. We, we get so excited when we're around a celebrity, when, we, when there's a celebrity anywhere close by. Or if there's a professional athlete anywhere nearby, I mean, it, it, it's like we just get so overwhelmed. We just, and I, I'll be honest with you, I get excited about it too. But, but once in a while here in our church, somebody will be joining us for worship and I'll come in the door. You know, people walk up and go, just want you to know who's here. <laughs> you know, just want you to know. It's like, oh man, I, got, I wish I had time to change my sermon. I didn't know they were going to be here. You know, we get, we get so excited, and then periodically, I kid you not, periodically, when you have somebody here, you'll see this. 
trying to get the selfie. Look who was there. I mean, Nancy and I, one time, we had dinner with Tiger Woods. Uh, not only me and Nancy, but Rick and uh, Lindsey Anderson were there. And Well, I mean, we didn't really have dinner with Tiger Woods. We, we were in the restaurant. We were sitting over here. <laughs> Rick and Lindsey were sitting over there. And Tiger Woods, after the golf tournament, came walking through. And we agreed our story was, because it is technically the truth, we had dinner with Tiger Woods. I mean, it's amazing how we get caught up in stuff, but here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to know. God. The God who is so powerful that he created the whole world by simply saying the word. The God. The God who so loved you personally by name that he would allow his son to crawl up on a, a heinous cross and die for your sins. The God who was so powerful that on the third day he raised his son from the dead, offering to every one of us everlasting life. The God who promised, I will never abandon you, but I will be with you always. That very God said, I invite you to my house today. You want to talk about a privilege? There's a privilege. That your God invited you to come as the people of God to his house and be in his presence today. Because Jesus tells us that, that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in your midst. We are not here today simply to learn about God. We are here to be in the presence of God. There's a privilege. There's the excitement. Worship is about being in the presence of God. And God invites us to be here to worship. Now, we talk about it all the time as worship leaders and the clergy. When we get together, we do worship planning. And, and I try to emphasize this over and over and over again, that our job as worship leaders is to create an environment for you to have an encounter with God. That's our job. Our job is to create an environment where you can have an encounter with God. Our job is not for you to be impressed with us, but for us to create an environment where you can encounter God. Now, I will go ahead and confess to you, we pastors are pretty impressive. <laughs> We're pretty important. I mean, after all, part of our job is to create the environment so you can have an encounter with God. That's, that's no small task. And our job is to teach the scripture. And why? Because we believe this is not just some ordinary book. So we teach the scripture. And our job is to celebrate the sacraments. Just this morning at the early service, I was able to take a baby in my arms and take this water and, and place it on that child's head. And, and we were able to celebrate the sacraments. It's pretty impressive. But I want you to hear this. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about any of your clergy. As a matter of fact, the moment it becomes about us, we have moved from worship to idolatry. The moment it becomes about us, we have moved from worship to idolatry. It's not about us. 
And music, oh wow, music is such a vital part of worship. And our choir here does an amazing job. And our, our praise teams do an amazing job. And, and music is so powerful, it, it sets the mood for worship. I mean, it, it can set the mood. Even Billy Graham would talk about how, you know, at a crusade, he would surround himself by really good music because he knew and he said, you know, if the music was terrible, the sermon just can't hardly recover it. It's hard to pull up from that. It's hard. Now, if the music is awesome, well, I don't have to be so good. <laughs> and you actually love it so the point of it is when we have a worship service that you don't enjoy it's the music's fault <laughs> actually music is such a vital part it, it touches the soul in a special way my father loved music and i'll be honest music moved him more than the sermon does i mean it, it would touch his spirit it would touch his soul and and, and it was such a vital part for who he is music it's it's vital it's important but I'll tell you this. It's not about the music leaders. The moment it becomes about the leadership of the music, the music leaders, it's... We've shifted from worship to idolatry. It's not about us. Our job is to is to create an environment where you can have an encounter with God. Our job is not to compete with God for the attention, but rather, as John the Baptist says, our job is to decrease so that he can increase. Our, our job is to point you to the one who can save you, because I can't do that, but I can point you to the one who can. That's our role. Our job is to create the environment where you can have an encounter with God. Manuel Luz goes on to say, the true product of the church's ministry is the hearts of the people. Everything that comes from the stage, from the lighting design, to the songs that are sung, the prayers that are prayed, to the sermon that's preached, should be seen as a byproduct of submissive hearts that are growing in Christ. He later says, through it all, however, we must remain diligent against the darker subterranean motivations that can seep into us to be entertained, to seek emotional escape, to settle for experiences of God instead of God himself. And then he said, we must not mistake the smoke for the Holy Spirit. So why do we worship? How do we worship? Well, we join together and we sing together. It's a vital part of the church. It's a vital part of the community of faith. And, and why do we do that? You know, earlier we were singing together at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. I mean, we were, we were you were having a good time singing together. And, and, and did you catch what happened at that moment? From those of us over here to my left, to those over here to my right, to those up in the balcony, to the choir behind and all around, for that moment, the entire body of Christ, the church, the community of faith, joined together as one, and we proclaimed Jesus Christ together as one. We worshiped together at the same time in the same way. It's powerful. And then we affirm our faith together with the creed. Now, I'll confess to you, when I was a kid growing up, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy the creeds and I didn't enjoy some of the things. But I will tell you now, I think there are two things 
that every Christian should know, and one of them is the Apostles' Creed, and the other one is the Lord's Prayer. And the reason I believe that is, is there are sometimes we get called out without our Bibles or our Bible apps. There are times that we get called out in a situation where somebody might be wanting to hear about our faith and, and, and what is it that we believe. Or we may find ourselves in a foxhole somewhere feeling like the world is crashing around us and we need to be able to say, hey, I believe this, or I need to be able to pray, and here's how I can pray. I mean, I just think it's so vital and so important that one of the things that's important to me is that we proclaim the creed and not recite it. Well, there's a big difference. Reciting the creed is when we go, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, but on the third day he rose from the dead. You know, I mean, we can go through it. We can get through it in a hurry. That's reciting the creed. Why do we do it? Because at that moment, did you catch what happened at that moment? The whole body of Christ here in this congregation, from those to my left, to those on my right, to those in the balcony, to those in the choir behind and all around, that, that for that moment, we, the church, joined together and said, I believe this. This is what I believe. This is why we're here. This is what unites us. I really do believe that God is the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. I really do believe that Jesus is His only begotten Son, our Savior, and our Lord. I really do believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. As a matter of fact, I will stake my life on this. I believe this. That's who we are. It's what we believe. We proclaim it, not recite it. We proclaim it. And then we pray. Ah, oh, prayer is such a vital part. Again, Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, I'll be in your midst. That's Matthew 18, 20. And we have joined together in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ. So when we pray, God is right here in our midst. He's right here among us. And God already knows our hearts. God already knows our lives. God already knows who we are. We, we don't have, have to fake it with God. I mean, the one place we can be real is here and when we pray you know i i i always wanted to have a, a deeper voice when i began my ministry in particular i, I mean i'm a tenor i sing tenor about eight fifteen, i sing bass but it, you know when i when i get warmed up but i always really wanted to have that deep bass voice i mean i just love the way some people when they preach and when they pray it just kind of rumbles God. <laughs> I mean, I've tried to get our sound people, you know, cut down the treble, cut down the mid-range, break up the you know, bass a little bit, where I sound deep. But that's not me. One of the things I loved when I read Psalm 139 is I don't have to pretend. You know, it is so exhausting in so much of our lives. We want our neighbors to think certain things about us and we want the people that we work with to think certain things about us. And, and we want the people, you know, that, that know us a little bit to think certain things about us. But God is the one who really knows us. It can be exhausting pretending, can it? But with God, I mean, I, I can just be real. I mean, listen to what David says, Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you search me and know me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. Skipping on down to verse 13, he says, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, the beautiful thing when we talk to our God is, is he already knows so I can just relax and be real. That's, that's one of the things that changed my life when I, I learned to pray like this because I, I don't have to have a deep voice. And I don't have to pretend. God knows me and God still loves me. And God knows you. And God still loves you. The one that we do not have to pretend in front of because he already knows us inside and out is God. Prayer is conversation with the God who knows us and yet who still loves us. So we pray. And we, we take up the offering. It's part of our worship service. Why do we do that? Well, it's right in the middle of the service because it's an act of worship. I mean, it's an act of gratitude. That's, that's why we do it. And we don't take up an offering just so we can keep the lights on. That's not, it's an act of worship. It's an act of gratitude. Thanks to God. We are so blessed. We, we, have, we have shelter over our heads. We have clothes on our back. We have food on our table. As a matter of fact, in just a few minutes, and, and I can see the clock, in just a few minutes... Some of you are going to start having the conversation, what do you want to do for lunch? That's a great conversation. And you know what's interesting is there are so many restaurants all around us. But have you ever noticed that there are sometimes you get in the car and you just go, I can't think of anything I want. <laughs> if you've ever had that thought, it's because you are incredibly blessed. If you have the option of, I can't think of anything I want to eat, which means that you have so many options presented to you, that is a first world problem. And it means we are so blessed. And we offer gratitude to God. God, I, I thank you because I'm not worried about will I eat. I'm worried about will I eat too much. I'm blessed. And I'm reminded, too, then, that, that after we go out to eat and they bring us the check, we sit down and we go, you know, the person who served and took care of us today was so great. They were so wonderful. They did such a good job. 
here's 18, no, 20%. I, I just, they did such a, a great thing. I, and I am, it's called a gratuity because I'm grateful. I'm grateful for how well you took care of me. You know what I find interesting? Because every time I do that, it, it hits me. God only asked for about half that. And God's the one who really put the food on our table. And yet, I'm more likely to say thank you to a server than I may be to God. It's an act of faith that the God who loved me yesterday and took care of me yesterday and is taking care of me today will bless me tomorrow. It's an act of ministry. The offering makes a difference in the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ. You saw the, the, the ministry moment about the preschool just a moment ago. What's amazing is, is, that, is that a child comes home and starts telling his mother about Jesus. The mother starts volunteering in the school. The mother then becomes a teacher in the school. And then for the last many years has been the director of the school. All because of a child learning about Jesus. Out of 330 kids, you know one of the interesting things that it is, and that's about 30% of our children that come to our preschool program, their families are not active in a church. That means 99 kids a day. We have the opportunity to tell the good news of Jesus Christ and it's going back to their homes and is making a difference on behalf of Christ. We take up the offering because it's worship. We, we have the sermon because we believe this is the word of God for the people of God. And, and so I dedicated my life to teaching and preaching this book. It's why I teach on Wednesdays. I preach on Sundays. I I believe this. And we look to hear a fresh word from God in our lives today. What difference does it make in my life today? And then we wrap up worship with the closing hymn, which I'm getting ready to announce. But it's not just a we're done hymn. Service is over hymn. It, it's, it's a response. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Will I leave from here the same way that I came? Or the fact that I've been in the presence of God with the people of God, will I be different now somehow? And the struggles or the shame or the guilt or the pain or the fear or whatever it was that I came in with, can I really lay that at the feet of Jesus? And, and can I leave without that burden? Can I trust that God will will take care of that for me. You know what I find interesting is we Christians have a tendency to come in and we go, I'm going to lay my, I'm going to lay my burdens, I'm going to lay my life at the foot of, at the foot of the cross. I'm going to lay this at, at Jesus' feet. And, and then, you know, we'll, we'll get halfway, we'll get halfway out the door. And then we turn around and we run back in here and we grab it and take it home with us. Because we have a hard time trusting that the God who hanged there can handle what we've laid there. That the God who was hanging on that cross can handle what we've laid at the foot of it. So we respond, will I be different as a result of my worship? You know, when I was a kid at that little home church that I was telling you about earlier, I've shared the story before how when I was a little boy, I always wanted to be a preacher. I mean, if you asked me when I was a little kid, what are you going to be when you grow up? I want to be a preacher. I couldn't wait to be a preacher. 
preacher would come over to visit with us, you know, and he would actually pretend to leave. His name was Preacher Laughlin, and he would, he would pretend to leave like he wasn't going to have a prayer, knowing that I would go, you didn't pray. Preachers pray before we leave. It's the sign we're leaving. You, you got to have the prayer. And, and so I would catch him and let him know, you didn't pray. And, and it became just kind of the game because I was going to be a preacher someday. Now, when I became a teenager, I decided... No, I want to be a trial lawyer. I thought I would be great as a trial lawyer. I thought it would be fun to be a trial lawyer. I mean, I could just see myself challenging people on the stand and, and asking question after question and getting them so wound up that finally they go, Okay, I did it! <laughs> Nothing further, Your Honor. <laughs> I, mean, I could just see that. I would have been awesome, but then no, God said, No, I still need you in the ministry. But when I was a kid, man, we used to... We used to go to the church. My home church was unlocked. It's out in the country. So it stayed unlocked, and we could go in. And, and, and we'd sometimes grab a chair from the choir loft, set it behind a pulpit, and I'd crawl up on it so I could see over. And I would preach. We'd be riding our bicycle, swing by the church. I, you know, everybody comes in, I'd preach. And all the neighbors would come up and get saved every time we did that. They'd kneel down at the altar. They'd get saved. Woo, hallelujah. And then we would go get some water out of the fellowship hall and get back on our bicycles and keep playing. We were playing church. You know, a lot of us just never grow out of that. We just keep playing church. But this is Lent. And we're talking about getting real. So the question is, is will I get real about my faith? Will I get real about being a Christian? Will I get real about being a disciple? Will I get real about my worship? Will I get real? Will we get real about being the church? Wonder how our world would be different today if the church decided to get real. Our altar, it's always open as we sing our closing hymn. The God who knows you is here today, and he loves you.